just again a special thank you to uh, all the ladies who um, really and all the guys as well who uh, really made last night really special for the dads and the daughters I can't tell you it was just a, a great time I know there's a lot of work in the background a lot of a labor of love for an event like that to, to give us dads some it's just a special night with our daughters as they are getting older but I think we've been doing it for three about three years and it freaked me out. Some of the pictures from, from three years ago to now are just so different because they've grown up so fast. And we know, though, their time of leaving the house one day is around the corner. So thanks again for, for doing that, everybody. I really, really appreciate it. You know, I'm doing a series about relationships and how bad blood can come between you and someone else. Could be a, a family member, could be a, a guy at work, a lady at work, could be anyone that you have a strain on the relationship. And last week, we talked about the pathway to making peace. And the first thing we talked about was looking at the relationship through the lens of empathy, um, especially in difficult relationships, because empathy can be a key to opening up a heart, opening up a dialogue that can lead to a healthy relationship. You know, I read a story about a young lady who grew up with a mother and father. Uh, her and her husband now are churchgoers. have been going to church for a long time. But she shared about having a really, really rough relationship with her dad. Because her dad was, by his own admission, you know, perpetually unfaithful, as she put it, to her mom. And being around, being married to his mom, but yet being with other women. And the impact that that had on her was devastating. And so she had a very challenging uh, childhood. And what happened was bad blood began to build between her and her father. And as she went off to college, she built a pretty significant wall between her and her dad. Sharp lines were drawn. Broken relationships began to become the norm um, between her and her father. And without realizing it, she became an expert mason builder. She started to build walls, not just with her father, but other relationships too, because of the pain. Was the wall justified? Yes. What was at stake? Holly's future relationships were at stake. You know, her new masonry, masonry skills would instinctively kick in probably without her even recognizing it in other relationships. And I've experienced that too. You get hurt by one, it affects another. How could it, that debt, this childhood injury, ever be repaid? And then the story goes, her dad calls her. He decided to apologize, but he missed her and he got her voicemail. And he left an apology on the voicemail. It wasn't exactly what she wanted in the reconciliation. And that further complicated their relationship. Holly thought, seriously? A voicemail? So she was really upset about that. In an attempt to pay the debt, the dad inadvertently compounded the debt. He made it worse. He wasn't trying to make it worse, but he made it worse. Relational debt is extremely costly. It cut what's the cost? Peace. Try going to a Thanksgiving dinner and there's that relative you ah 
three hours of that. It compounds it. However, as she processed her dad's apology with her counselor, her small group, a crack in the wall began to appear that motivated her to look at the relationship with her dad through the lens of empathy. She began to see her dad's side. Nothing could justify what he did. He was wrong, but she began to realize that her dad was actually broken. His childhood was a mess. He was injured too. And that was the turning point for her. Her perspective shifted and she began to see her dad as hurting and not just hurtful. And for the next season, she saw him as an injured little boy bouncing from house to house. He hadn't been a jerk because he hated her. He hadn't been a jerk because he wanted to ruin her life. He had been a jerk because he didn't know any better. He didn't make it right. And it didn't mean she, didn't, she had excuses for his selfish behavior. And that's the tension in relationships. Bad blood can, is always right around the corner. And today I want to talk to those who have, who have bad blood with someone you think owes you something. This person took something from you. And he or she has not returned it. What does that look like for you? Injury. Something that happened in your past that it's over, it happened, life has moved on. What do you do? The next question is who else is suffering the consequences of our own bad blood? Because it not only affects the relationship, but it affects the who else, other people in our life. If we don't find peace about our bad blood in our relationships, our other relationships are at stake. It just keeps going. We build walls. Because bad blood is costly and it's complicated. It costs us peace. It complicates other relationships. I had this girl from when I was young. I loved her. She was fantastic. Seventh grade. I was in love. We held hands once. It was amazing. I mean, the skies parted. It was amazing. And then it was over. She broke up with me. I mean, I saw her like once a week. We held hands once. Her parents took us to a Dodger game once. I thought this is my happy ever after. This is it. And I was injured because I didn't know why. So I began to be a mason builder. Relationship with women now, I wasn't as free anymore. I was very guarded and I would assume a lot what they were thinking. And I would be protective. And I would start dumping girlfriends or girls before they had a chance to dump me. Ah, Back then we used to hang up the phone. Mom, if she calls back, I'm not here. (laughs) Okay, for all the young kids, they had to call your thing called a home phone. It was in your house. And your mom or dad usually answered it. They always would answer the phone. I had to my mom, I am not here. If a girl calls, I am not here. Because it was complicating 
my future relationships because I was injured. What she took was my, my, she took my pride. She took my heart. And I didn't know how to react to it. So what I did was I just kept building walls against with other relationships. And that's the vicious cycle. If you don't care about your bad blood relationship, ah, who cares about that person? You should care about the who else it's going to affect. The future relationship. You know, last week we looked at Paul. And he wrote this letter to the Roman church, this, this book of Romans. It's an interesting book because Paul's writing to people, disciples, in, in a church that he did not plant. In a church he did not preach to. So he's putting a lot of stuff out there. So when you read this, this, this chapter of Romans 12, he's just putting a lot of stuff out there because he wants to make sure they understand what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a true follower. So he's writing about how the Gentiles have become saved because of Jesus and how we need to forgive each other. Because the path to peace, the first step is empathy. The, the path that really moves you down the path is forgiveness let's look at look in Romans chapter 12 there's us and between the who else there's bad blood now you may not like the person but it can affect another relationship so in last week we looked at this passage in Romans 12 verse 18 it says if it is possible as far it depends on you live at peace with everyone as it depends on you. Because sometimes you may not be able to get them to come to the table. So he says you can have peace even though the relationship is not at peace. As far as it depends on you. And I've had to do that. To make peace. I shared the story last time. Like Karen got hit by this crazy guy in the car. and Bumped her car and kept going. I, wanted, I can't talk to that guy. But I was really angry. My wife was scared. I wanted revenge. I live at peace. So, let's read this passage together. So in this passage here, you know, obviously happiness means peace. And, and peace means as far as it depends on me. That's what he's saying there. There might not be peace, but it won't be because of me. That, that's what he's trying to say. And then he, then he writes this. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. Why? Because revenge escalates. Re re revenge causes me to suspend my morality. Stop. I'm going to stop being a Christian for 20 seconds. Ever felt that? Hold on. I'm not a Christian right now, guys. Revenge is not just active retaliation, but it's also passive celebration. When something bad happens, a guy who bad blood, you're like, the Lord struck him down. The Lord is in control. And there's a sense of joy when someone you're mad at is going through a hard time. This passive celebration. For some people, revenge looks like king a car. Punching a tire. I've had those happen to me as a teenager. Someone keyed my car and popped my tire. I never knew who did it. Now, I went to one guy's house and accused him, I think wrongly. But I scared him and I thought he did. I thought, this guy, this guy has had to have done it because I know there's some bad blood. But I don't really know if he did it. But my car was keyed. 
my gas tank lid was bent in and my tire was popped over a course of three years. If that was you, please come forward. I want to work this out. Don't know who it was. Because revenge, what it does, it shuts the person out. Possibly indefinitely. And then he writes this. Friends, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. You know, the idea of wrath is kind of disturbing. <laughs> but it's kind of exciting at the same time. You're like, well, that sounds horrible. It sounds exciting if it's pointed at you. The wrath of God is his response to sin. I mean, I don't know if I can fully understand that, God's wrath. I know what my wrath looks like. It looks like anger. It looks like cutting comments. It looks like resentment. It looks like bitterness. It looks like the silent treatment. That's what my wrath looks like. I don't know about God. God's wrath seems like something else. Something like it's, it's good because it's dealing with sin, but it's his wrath in his perfect way. My way is not perfect. And something that we all have to understand, God does not deal lightly with sin. He just doesn't. He doesn't shrug his shoulders and say, well, you know, sorry. He cares. He says it's wrong. That's what God feels. And we're his creation. He made all of us and He's written the things of his law inside of each person. It's called the conscience. And this is his voice telling us that things that we do are wrong. Sometimes we listen to that conscience. Sometimes we don't. Things like lying, bragging, threatening, seducing, breaking our promises. Those are things that are inside of us. And sin is never, never without consequence. Now all the sin is the same in God's eyes. It, it, it makes us separated, but the consequences are always different. But sin is never without consequence. Never. You might think you're getting away with something. A lot of times my son tells me, well, this happened. No, what's, what's God going to do about this, this bad thing that's happening in the world today? So God's going to deal with him. It's hard to explain to an 11-year-old kid when he, he, he sees the news and says, why is God not getting involved in this? And I, this morning we, we looked at, the, we looked at the, the book of Exodus and God dealt with Pharaoh. He was evil. And God confronted Pharaoh. We see the story. So it was reassuring. Like God confronts evil, son. He confronts it. And so that, that kind of helped him. Okay, God does confront. Because sometimes he starts to think, why is God not dealing with this here and now? He confronts sin. So he says here, we're supposed to leave room for God's wrath. That's what it says. Are you strangely encouraged by that? Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, it's encouraging. Yeah. Go get him, Lord, you know. We need to let God do what he wants to do. Because God will sort it out when we leave it to him. I mean, you've been praying, possibly. You've been praying and you're asking and begging God to get involved. 
Maybe God is saying, you don't need to be asking me anymore. I already told you what to do. Forgive. And I'll get involved. It's the one scripture that always has a cause and effect. If you don't forgive, you can't enter heaven. It's one of those passages you're like, whoa, this is super serious. If I don't forgive, I can't get into heaven. I mean, I can go to church for 50 years and sing that awesome, I'm amazed by you, and not get in because I, I'm unwilling to walk down that path of forgiveness. Yeah, that's what he says. Unforgiveness shuts God out. Forgiveness allows God in. Then he goes on to say this. In the same little sentence. Sorry, I thought it, the purple looked like more shinier on my computer when I wrote that. Sorry, I should have probably put yellow. Okay. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, Old Testament, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. When you hold someone hostage for what they've done or what they've taken, you make no room for God to do what He does. The question is, do you trust that God will do what He needs to do? And the times that we don't, we want to dish out our own wrath. Because we don't trust His wrath. We trust our wrath. Silent treatment gets done. No, that's our wrath. God's wrath is a whole different, whole different topic. When I fail to forgive, I fail to believe that God is actually going to repay. That's the truth. When I'm unwilling to forgive, How would you approach the person who wronged you if you were fully confident God was going to repay? Maybe it looks like this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Because when you're saying God's wrath is on him, I start to feel sorry for him. That's rough. Let me go feed this guy. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you'll re you'll, you will heap burning coals on his head. If you're confident God was going to repay, you start to feel sorry for that person. If you had perfect faith, perfect confidence that God was going to repay, you would feel compassion, not anger. Because that is brutal to fall into the hands of the wrath of God. I feel compassion and not anger. So let's talk about giving the person the blessing he or she has never received. Accepting the apology that you've never received. That's forgiveness. I don't know why there's not an I'm sorry in the Bible apology, but it does say forgiveness. Forgiveness is not, you know, attached to an I'm sorry. Because sometimes you'll never get an I'm sorry. So what do you do then? You wait in bitterness and can't get in heaven because you can't forgive them because you're waiting for the other. What if they died? 
And you never get the I'm sorry. What do you do? Well, forgive. That's the path. Empathy. Forgiveness. That's the vehicle that takes you down that road. Do not be overcome by evil. I put that in red. I thought that was a you know important statement there. <laughs> evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's so opposite of what I want to do, though. I kind of like being bitter for a few days. It almost soothes me. That's because I built walls for so many years. It's my comfort zone. I don't want the walls. It, it affects my relationships. But I want to overcome evil with good. But I don't want to be overcome by evil. Earlier he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil in the, in the earlier passage. What I'm trying to say is let God do his job. When I'm tempted to repay, I'm actually trying to fight fire with fire. That never goes well. It doesn't work. Let God do what God does. You do what's best for you, but let God do what's best for the situation. God will repay. He says it. And he's writing to the church. Hey, listen, I want to make sure you understand this. Because we're going to get persecuted. And we're going to get killed. We're going to get systematically eradicated from the earth. That's the policy of the empire. Do not be overcome with evil. What's interesting, before Christianity became a legal religion, this is how they lived. And when it became legal, legal, they started to fight fire with fire. They started to take up arms against other nations and kill in the name of God. They got away from this historically. The first three, four hundred years... They were willingly being put to death. They were willingly being killed. But after it became legal to worship God, it became corrupt. And this was no longer the passage that God will repay. God's in control. No, we're in control in the name of God. And they killed countless of people in the name of Christianity. And our critics always like to point to that. But what I point them to is the original people who lived it. That was them. They were going to have their brother and their mother and their sister killed. Do not be overcome by evil. And some people are just going to do you wrong, folks. They're just going to do it. Don't be overcome by evil. Leave room for God. Because peace begins... When your demand for payment ends. Let God do that. So think about who do you need to forgive? Not, not, not your question like, who needs to apologize to me? No, 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 that's not the question. Because that's the question I want to ask. Who needs to apologize? And then, when that payment's been given, I will forgive. That's not what God teaches because you may never get the I'm sorry. It's forgive. Well, gee, I just can't do that. They've done it too many times. They keep repeating it. 
I wonder what would God say about us repeating sin after sin after sin after sin. Yeah, you're right. Can't forgive if you keep on repeating it. I don't know about you, but even when I try not to sin, I sin. I'm trying really hard. I'm, I, I have days like, I'm not going to sin today. I try to make it my goal. And afterwards, I'm like, I didn't sin. I'm proud. Sin. Oh, okay. Great. All right, let's try that one again. You know? It's every day. So for us to say, I'm going to hold this dead against you, this is why God's so strong and says, you better do that if you want to be with me. Because I do it every day with you. You come to me crying every day, Father, please. And I'm like, I love you. It's going to be okay. But what's amazing, we don't treat this relationship like the relationship. We don't treat them this way. We're like, no, 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 no. You're not getting off that easy. Oh, no. Oh, no. You will pay. I'm sorry. Say it. See, I forgive you. See? I'm sorry. See? That's how we interact with each other. We demand payment. So who do you need to forgive? What's the ransom that you're holding? Why let him borrow $1,000? He hasn't paid it back. Okay. At the ransom, 1000 bucks. Well, this person never admits they're wrong. Well, is that the ransom? Admit you're wrong? And my mother's going to apologize in her life. Is that the ransom you're looking for? Okay, all right. Let go of the payment and you'll have peace. Forgive the debt. A good parable on that is the parable of the unmerciful servants. That's what I'm referring to. Choke here, but go, please forgive me. Choke. Forgive me. Choke. I don't know what that would mean. Taking a first step. You know, a few years ago, my mom insulted me. So I was so offended. I held her for I held her, I held our grand her grandkids for ransom. I was so offended. I said, "You will never see your grandchildren again." I wrote, I wrote her a letter. Stamped it, signed it, everything on a computer. Put it in simple English for my dad to read. And says, you will never see your grandkids unless I get an apology. You'll never see them. Two weeks later, my dad called. I was holding my, my family hostage because I was offended by my mother. You know, you know what? All I wanted to hear was, I'm sorry. But I held them hostage. And, and the holidays were coming up. And my dad called to try to make peace, peace. His father, there's peace, peace. There is no peace. I said, Dad, don't try to downplay what Mom said. No, 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 no. Mom needs to call. So about two weeks before Thanksgiving, she calls. And she tries to explain. So, no, 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 no. Don't explain. Just want to hear two words. Two words. In English, Mom, I'm sorry. I held my poor mother hostage. For months, petrified, she won't see her grandkids. 
And I realized how much that affected her. I could have just forgiven her and moved on. But no, I had to, I had to have a ransom for my, to justify my bitterness. And after I got the I'm sorry, I felt happy, but I felt happy like, eh, wow, I had to tie her arms around her back to do it. And you may have a relationship like that where it's not, it's just going to be hard. They're going to be offensive. So I'm sharing that with you because I, I understand that the, the, the need for a payment. What my mother needed was forgiveness. That I was unwilling to give at the time. It was contingent on an apology. Now, I think apologies are great and they're good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't apologize. I'm just saying that I'm holding them ransom. And that was my story. So we saw, and, 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 and my mom has offended me since then. She offends me a lot. So my mom's a very outspoken person, outspoken critic of Gio Garces. But when I feel offended, I empathize, and I forgive. And our relationship has been awesome since then. I've just decided to empathize and forgive. My mom's the one that doesn't apologize very lightly. I think I've, I think I've heard one in my life. That was that time. She doesn't really apologize for much. And that was, that was good. And the story about Holly and her dad, they started talking every week. And then a few months later, he passed away. I'm not trying to make this overly dramatic, but I'm just saying, that's just life. And she was able to deal with it before it was too late, and that's good for her. But for us, it's never too late. In a world where everything feels important, in a world where everything feels immediate, nothing is more important than living in peace. I mean, there are more distractions than ever. And when you stop looking inward, you're actively making life harder for those around you. Because you lose the self-awareness. And the reality is you'll never really passively find what you're actively pursuing. You have to pursue peace. It's got to be active. Well, how do you do that? You forgive the debt. Take the first step. So this week I have some homework for you. I'd like you to pray for the person or the people or the community or the nation or the country or whatever with whom you have bad blood. You say, I don't have bad blood. Just think politics. Okay, well, now there it is. There it was. I mean, I've seen so much stuff on Facebook. You pray for that person that makes your blood boil. And I'll throw it out there, just politics. Start there and then work your way down to people that are around you. It's a good place to start. And that is one step you can take to live a peaceful life with everyone else. Have a great afternoon and your uh, concludes our service. Thanks so much.